Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Reese Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Since the pandemic, PeopleOps has been an increasingly influential role in remote workplaces. However, there's still work to do to bridge the gap between people leaders and executives. How can PeopleOps effectively communicate the function and importance of their team? And why is it critical that diversity, equity and inclusion is part of those conversations? That's what I dive into with today's guest, Ivory Johnson. Ivory is the Head of People, Talent and DEIB at ChartHop. She provides expert advice on how to effectively communicate the advantages of PeopleOps to C-level executives and how to get a seat at the table. So my name is Ivory Johnson, my pronouns are she, her, and I lead all of people, talent, and diversity, equity, inclusion for ChartHop. Um, ChartHop is a people operations platform where they bring all your people data into one place and really help you organize everything from a people perspective. Um, I've been at the organization for almost two years now. Um, A lot of my experience has been focusing on creating inclusive strategies for organizations like Google, Twitter, um, Better.com, and Capital One, just um, to name a few. Um, But I've been in this space for the last 10 years or so. So I'm excited to be at ChartHop and love what we're building. So I'm excited to be a part of that journey. Can you maybe give us a bit more detail on on the work that you do at ChartHop, your responsibilities? (laughs) So at ChartHop, um, I first came into ChartHop to really help build a foundation around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, really set like what, and define what it means for our organization, um, and also just set some strategic goals around where, where we are now, but where do we want to go within the next year to three years, but also trying to embed it into the overall organizational strategy and make sure that it is embedded into everything that we do. Quickly after that, we've had some organizational changes. So I've stepped into leading all of our people team, our talent team, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's managing the entire employee life cycle, thinking about employee engagement, thinking about retaining um, talent, attracting talent, developing talent, but also embedding DEI throughout all of that. So it's it's really beautiful to see the inclusion piece come into the people piece because then you're able to embed it throughout everything you do. And I think it's really beautiful what we're doing at ChartHop. Yeah, that, that was actually what I was just about to, to say. That's that's really lovely to hear that the person leading your entire people function now is, is approaching everything from DEIB lens. That's that's not that common from, from my experience in the past. Yeah, I, I typically don't see it. However, you know, I, I also never thought about stepping into a people role. It was an opportunistic thing and... You know, once being in this role for a bit, I realized that there is so much impact that you can have with um, having your leader thinking through everything with an inclusion lens um, because you're building things the right way. But you also have a a seat at the table with the executives and you can also help help ensure that diversity is a part of every single conversation that we have. Um, So it's it's really impactful to see that coming to life. 
So you mentioned that you, you've been in this space for quite a long time. It might sound a little bit grandiose, but if you were to kind of try and distill down the, the work that you do into an elevator pitch, what, what would you say that the, the mission is that you're trying to achieve with your career? I've always said that I'm trying to create the most inclusive company in the world. I really want to um, help an organization be as inclusive, also be able to have the uncomfortable conversations um, and do things the right way the first time. But if I had to think about an elevator pitch for that um, in my career, it's I want to be known for doing unconventional things that are actually going to progress the way that we think, the way that we behave, but also creating space for talent that has been historically kept out of these spaces and has, you know, for underrepresented communities, marginalized communities, and making sure that they have a space, a voice, and a place within the tech um, space. So that's really what I'm looking to do. Fantastic. So the the main topic that we want to cover today is talking about the people function and, and making sure that the, the rest of a company's leadership understand the value of that. Uh, maybe in some ways talk about the, the, the PR problem or, or the perception problem that might exist for people ops uh, and how we can, we can make some improvements uh, in that area. Let's just start with the basics. How would you describe the role of the people ops function in, I guess you could say, this more modern world that we're currently living in? whether it be because we're remote companies or, or various other, I guess, phenomena that have brought the people function to the front now uh, and, yeah, the value that it brings to those kinds of companies? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, the way that I see people operations, and I think it has has it's come a long way um, because we first started talking about, like, people operations as HR, and then HR was very administrative, like, 10 years ago, and then we've gotten to a place where people operations is more strategic, but it then is still adjacent to um, like business objectives. And now you're starting to see where organizations are starting to embed people operations into the strategy. And it's a part of everything that you do. So the way that I describe people operations is um, it's really a function that is managing and developing an organization's workforce. Um, it's really taking like a people centric approach that like focuses on what people actually experience each day in their roles um, within the organization. And the people operations is really there to improve productivity, um, improve skill set, um, thinking about like growth and introductory and, and also like just their overall experience and how that links to belonging, but also their overall like satisfaction. Um, so that's how it, I would describe people operations. You, you said a phrase there that made me laugh, and I, I think it, it touches on some of the other questions I've got with you. Mm -hmm. You used this term, strategic adjacent. <laughs> uh, I think there's there's actually a lot of power, and and I think what you're getting at with that. So could you maybe explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, when you think about a business, you think about the overall result, the bottom line, and we need to make money. We need to have customers. We also need to build our product. Um, so when you think about the different parts of an organization, usually it's sales, usually it's like customer experience or, or sometimes it's customer success at organizations. And then you have your tech teams that are the teams that are just continuously building the company money. I think what a lot of companies, they're, what they're starting to do is, they, is realizing that your people are actually and how they feel and how they show up every day is very, very important years ago, we didn't think about that. So people operations was very set adjacent to all of these other departments is seen as secondary versus primary. And I think um, 
maybe it was around COVID where um, people, you know, being sitting in your house and realizing like, actually, I, I do need to be closer to my family, that I do need time back in my day. People began to prioritize themselves and they began leaving the workforce and employers realized that we had to create environments that are, you know, more inclusive, that are safe for our employees, but also giving them the flexibility. So I think companies are beginning to prioritize their people more and realizing that we have to take a people-centric approach to everything we do to ensure that our people feel heard, that they can speak up and that they're, and that they have a voice in everything that we're building. And they're also owners in what we're building as well. So I think there, there's been a shift that has happened post-COVID where people operations is now being truly, truly integral to everything that the business does um, versus before it was seen more secondary. I had an interesting conversation with someone recently where they were like, it was actually a people leader that is is getting more a seat at the top of the table, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they were saying to me was like, I feel like I'm speaking a different language. I don't know how to speak their language and, and they don't know how to speak my language right now. And we're trying to find, you know, it's almost like the messages are just like whizzing by our heads and not quite connecting with each other. Um, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Why, why do you think that is? And what, what do you think exactly that, that means? Something I learned very early in my career, this acronym is called with them. And it's what's in it for them. And that stuck with me forever. And I realized that the in order to influence people, you have to bring to the table what they are going to care about and how that's how the decision that you or the process or strategy that you're trying to implement is actually going to benefit them, benefit their people, benefit their results. You have to come to the table with that. And that's the only way that you're going to find alignment, especially if that person is their strategy or their the business is just really not integrated with a lot of the things that you're doing. You have to be able to do those things. So a lot of leaders, what I hear is there, it's a lot of convincing and persuading and that, that causes burnout that causes, you know, people leaders to realize, okay, this, the organization is just not aligned to the same values that I am, things like that. When it's really just the way that we communicate and the things that we prioritize are just completely different. Um, from a people perspective, we're always going to prioritize our people, their feelings, making sure that we're doing the right thing. And we also have to balance like the business and what, what it's going to take for the business to be successful as well. So when we talk to like, when I talk to my sales leader, I have to think about, she's thinking about the next deals that are coming in and, and making sure that we're hitting ARR and how am I actually, how is this strategy actually going to help her hit her goals? Fantastic. So I want to come back onto this, this, uh, idea that the, the people ops, function has a PR problem. It has an image problem within a business. I'd love to hear your experiences if, if this is something that you've you've experienced firsthand. Um, and then if that is the case, what sort of preconceptions or sorry, misconceptions do you think that other parts of a business might have about a people team uh, and the value that they bring to the company? I think um, a lot of the work that the people teams do um, are extremely undervalued. Um, as you see in the economic climate, you see people teams being laid off, um, recruiters being completely laid off. One of the things that we that we were able to do at ChartHop was, you know, because we went through the, like the same economic hardships that other companies are going through. And I don't think there's any company that's maybe not going through this, but like we thought about how can we repurpose our people for a while? Um, like there are so many synergies and similarities across roles where you can have folks lean in in other areas where you don't have to let them go when we see the large amount of people in the workforce right now are coming from like people operations that shows that there isn't a priority to have 
like a people ops function or having those integral pieces to be able to support our people in the right way. Um, so I do think there's a PR problem um, in HR or people operations is not seen as as a required or an integral part of the business. Because when we think about like engineering, we don't want to let go of engineering because they're building our products. But when we think about um, like our people ops teams, they're the ones that's making sure that everyone gets paid, that they have their benefits, that they feel supported, that they have voices, um, that they're running your performance review cycles and your comp cycles, but also helping you backfill folks that, that may be leaving just due to attrition and things like that. So what you're seeing right now is a lot of people ops teams are being overloaded with a lot of work because the work still needs to get done, but they have less less resources. So I think there is there's definitely a PR problem around the importance of people ops teams to a business. And I think what organizations are going to see once we get out of this economic climate is we're going to see that um, there's still hiring that needs to be done. We still need headcount within people teams, and we're going to we're going to see mass hiring across the tech space for just people ops um, in general. And I think like a part of me wishes that the company just, you know, took a different approach and thought about like, how can we, how can we use it, utilize that and think about our people team in a different way? How can we um, get them to recruiters and sourcers? The role is very similar to like sales, right? Like they're going out and selling the company so they can also maybe help on the sales side and help bring in revenue and things like that. Like there's so much that you can do to, utilize the great talent that you have in, inside without laying them off. And I think um, that's a mistake that a lot of companies are making right now. When you were talking there, a big thing that I was thinking about was short-term versus long-term. And we know that a lot of the work that people leaders do, anything involving people is, is typically long-term. It's, it's mm-hmm. slow burn. It takes a long time to gain momentum. I'm thinking a little bit about the the person listening to this podcast and if they're in the, this similar sort of situation where, as you say, maybe these parts of the business are, are working, let go. And you could almost think of it almost like it might create this cultural hangover, right? Where, where, where these people are not there. And then you've got, again, a long time for this to spin back up and it might take multiple years. So you end up with, with long-term damage and that manifests itself in attrition and, and all sorts of different things. What, what would you say to the people leader that's listening that their uh, leadership team of the business is, is thinking in this way? And they're like, no, we need to only hire salespeople and engineers to get through this tough time right now. Uh, and we're going to keep it as a one-person people team. And uh, that's just the way it's going to be. How would you communicate that there needs to be a balance between you know short-term imperatives, which are just, or they're valid, of course they are, but then yeah. not kind of shooting yourself in the foot long-term? I think um, a piece of it goes to like in overall employee engagement. Because if you have a 150 person company and you have one person from a people ops perspective of supporting, there is no way that that person is able to check in with every single manager, check in with every single employee to make sure that they're feeling okay. There's no way that they can manage a reduction. There's no way that they can actually um, manage employee questions. They can probably just keep everything running. They can keep payroll going. They can keep the benefits going. They can make sure that they're managing all of your performance cycles and comp cycles and getting everything updated in systems and doing hiring and offboarding and onboarding and things like that. But there's no way that that person can be strategic and help the organization move forward in a people-centric way. And I think people leaders really need to make a case around, like, we are making a mistake. We may need to cut headcount across like the entire company, 
but we really need to be strategic around what we're doing from a people perspective. We need to make sure that we have the the amount of people that's going to actually support our people, especially after when you go through a layoff, people's um, engagement goes low, like morale goes down and your people team are the ones that need to be able to influence managers, help train managers and guide managers around how to support their teams. Um, they also need to be able to work on ways to get engagement up um, and be strategic in that way, working with the executives, working with leaders to think about how they can support their people through this time. And if you don't have that, you'll see a lot of attrition because what's going to happen is people are going to see their friends let go and then they're going to want to feel supported. They're going to want to feel validated that they they're not next, right? And I think um, a lot of companies are like, okay, we did this, let's move on and let's keep going. But there also needs to be some type of um, pause and saying like, hey, we're here for you. We want to hear we want to hear what you're going through, but we also want to support you through this. Let's talk about it. And if you don't have a people team to support you through that, if you don't have a leadership team to support you through that, then you're going to see a lot of attrition. So I would just tell people leaders to advocate, continue to advocate, also talk more about like the importance of people teams and how it's strategic to the business's goals and vision. Um, but I also think it starts with when the business is setting yearly or quarterly goals or if it's um, biannual goals, making sure that people goals are embedded in that as well. Because if it's secondary, then you'll all then people teams will always, always, always be seen as not integral to the business. What would you say is one thing that leadership in a company commonly misunderstands about their people team? I think one thing that um, leaders continuously misunderstand is um, how plugged in the people team is to what their people are actually feeling. You know, a lot of a lot of employees are sometimes afraid to talk to their leaders, especially their senior leaders. They don't want to be as honest. They don't want to give feedback. Um, they feel like there may be some type of retaliation, especially when it comes to like engagement surveys and things like that. They they're not telling them the honest truth. And sometimes it takes for your people, business partners, or um, your people team to get in with the business, have conversations continuously to pull information out. And understand like, hey, actually the side of your business is feeling this way. And here's some data to support that based on attrition, based on employee grievances, based on representation. So many different things that, that come up and you can tell a full story. I do think that, you know, people teams are still seen in a way as being heavily administrative and the strategic piece there only exists at the leader level especially within a people business partner function, there's so much strategy there around how they're supporting managers, how they're supporting employees and um, being able to just get a pulse on what's going on in the organization and help shift or organizational culture. So I think a lot of leaders really misunderstand that piece of HR um, or people operations around like being a truly, truly strategic function for your people. I would maybe give one thought as well on this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's important for leadership to realize that especially the more senior you get, the more of a people leader you actually become. The, well, the example that I always use when, when I'm talking about this is your CEO. Now, depending on the size of company that you are, the responsibilities of a CEO will change. Um, but if you're in the smaller stages of a company, you know, round about our sort of size, some of the responsibilities you have as a, as a CEO is to hire your leadership team, 
is to set the culture of the business and to make sure the company has money to raise finance. Mm -hmm. In my eyes, two out of three of those things are, are purely people related topics. Mm -hmm. um, so I think coming back to this point about business stuff versus people stuff, I think actually there should be a reframing or, 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 or leaders of a business should realize that they are pretty much the front lines of when it comes to people leadership in a business and your people ops team is not this other entity that in some ways you are actually the the front door of your people team mm -hmm. you are the 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 where, where the rubber hits the road sort of situation ivory stresses the importance of communicating to senior leadership that people ops is not purely administrative there's been a shift in the right direction over the last few years but people leaders need to speak the language of executives and communicate why PeopleOps is good for business. I appreciated Ivory's sharing the acronym with him. What's in it for me? It's a great way for people leaders to frame their communication with leadership. I was curious to learn more about Ivory's background and the specific challenges that can arise when considering DEIB, especially in remote teams. So I want to hear a little bit more uh from your DEIB background um, and, the, and the work that you do. Are there any specific challenges or considerations that arise when we're talking about DEIB, um, specifically for remote teams or, or hybrid teams? I mean, we as a company are a fairly extreme example of this. We have people in, I think, about 60 or 70 countries around the world, pretty much mm -hmm. you know, every demographic that you could, uh, you could expect. So it would be really interesting to hear, yeah, with everything that's happened over the last few years, with companies becoming incredibly diverse in that particular respect, and increasingly so, uh, and then also how people leaders can can navigate those sorts of challenges. Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. I think from a organizational perspective, I think DEI is seen as needed. However, when you think about the things that are needed, the first things that come up is let's create community. Let's create trainings around unconscious bias and unconscious bias is also already be debunked about like not, not, not truly being effective, but let's create some of these trainings so that way we can learn more about DEI. Let's do events and bring in speakers, but organizations really want to do all the soft and fluffy stuff that is, that is safe. We want to do the safe things, but when it comes to actually having the hard conversations and moving the needle and um, being uncomfortable that's where we shy away. That's where we see the most amount of resistance. And I think that's going to be something continuous because in order to shift behavior, you have to be able to look within yourself and say, like, actually, this is something that I need to work on. And a lot of this, a lot of DEI work um, around being inclusive is is like an internal um, self-work. Like, it's, it's internal self-work that needs to be done. Like we can teach you concepts and things like that. We can try to put processes in place, but shifting the behavior, that's that's where we're going to see the biggest change. And that's going to take self-work from folks that are actually leaned in and, and then a little bit on um, higher on the curve in their, their DEI journey. Can you share any success stories or examples where you were able to influence the C-suite of a company uh, and the position that people ops, the people ops function has as a critical driver to the business? I would say I have a really, I have a really great exec team and they are very much leaned in and they are also people that think through, they are people that, that think with like a people centric approach. They want to make sure that they're doing the right thing by their employees. They want to make sure that their team is supported. So they make it super easy. 
I guess like one example of this was um, during, um, I think a few months ago, they began to um, like ban trans healthcare in like certain um, states as well. And, you know, I brought it up to our exec team and said, hey, like we actually need to do something about this. We have, you know, employees internally that may be affected by this or, or employees and their dependents, their families, like we really need to um, support them in some way. Um, so I worked with our exec team and we put together a policy, um, which we call our safe policy. And um, we're supporting our, our teams if they need to move out of a state where they see it's unsafe or if they need care um, in another state or anything like that. We did the same thing when um, like the Roe v. Wade decision came came forward as well and supporting our employees. And there was no question about it. I think the most pushback I, I got from our team was, is this exactly what we need to do? Is there more that we can do? So they make it super easy. They're, they're completely leaned in. But I think there's organizations where you don't have a leadership team like that, where they may be on different, differing, differing places in their, their journeys as well. So you have to, you have to talk about like, what is the importance of this? How is this going to affect your people? How is this going to affect the bottom line? And also how is this going to, how is this going to affect the way that we talk about some of these things externally? If we're going to say that we're an inclusive company and that we are prioritizing DEI and we're prioritizing our people, then we have to make sure that we're there for them through all of these things that come across um, the table. I want to talk a little bit uh, about the future. You you did start to mention a little bit about the, the journey that companies are on um, and some are, are more advanced than others. What trends do you see coming down the line uh, when it comes to people ops as a whole uh, and, and the working world? Yeah, I think we've already seen a lot of it is, um, you know, post-COVID, everyone was remote friendly and now everyone's going back hybrid. Um, and I think that shift will ultimately be going back into office um, where we will be requiring folks to go back into office. You know, ChartHop, we are a fully remote company. However, I do, I do understand I do understand the importance of being in person too. Like there's nothing that you can beat with meeting someone at a water cooler and just having a, a conversation and getting to know someone um, that you can't have in a remote world. You also cannot have um, the separation between work and home if you're at home, right? And I think, especially during COVID, that was a struggle for so many people. And I, I, I think a lot of organizations are going to start forcing people to go back to work. I think that may be either a good thing where people are ready to go back or it may be a max exodus where people really want the flexibility and they'll start leaving the workforce. So we may see that go either way where companies will start to go in person and then employees will begin to exit and then they may have to change their strategies a little bit. I also think going back in office is also going to affect DEI goals when you have an office in like Colorado or Salt Lake City where you don't see much representation for people of color, then you're also not going to want to see people of color move there. So it will hinder your DEI hiring goals as well, but also retention. Um, so you have to think about that too. So I think that's one piece of it. I also think, um, I've been saying this for a while, um, and I think me moving into this role as a you know people leader, um, coming from like the DEI world, I'm seeing the beauty and being able to lead a people function through the lens of DEI. And I'm able to make sure that DEI is integral to everything that we do from a people 
people function, but I'm also able to ensure that DEI is at, at the table within, you know, every, everything that we do from like an executive level. So I think over the next five years or so, we'll see people roles and DEI roles come together um, where they won't need DEI functions, where you'll see actual DEI leaders leading people functions. You'll see DEI, um, instead of people business partners, you may say DEI business partners because they're doing the same role, just thinking through a DEI lens. Um, so I think a lot of that is going to come up and that's going to be a, a huge shift. And that's what I hope to see, because I think at organizations where you see DEI and people separate, DEI has to influence people to influence the top. And then sometimes it feels a little disjointed. So seeing those come together would be um, truly, truly impactful. One of the things you mentioned really uh, at the beginning of when we started talking was people leaders having to navigate their company through some pretty tough times over the last few years, uh, various different things, COVID and, and, and other things. So with that in mind, based on what you just said there with maybe a, a, a swing back towards uh, more in-office uh, business being done, do you think that will also result or reflect in a lessening of the uh, empowerment of people teams? Or do you think that that's kind of been set in motion and actually everybody going back to the office is just another dynamic that they'll have to, to sort of strategically account for? What do you think? I think it depends on the organization. I think um, some organizations, it's coming from the top down where the CEO wants everyone in, in, in office, right? Um, I think at like smaller organizations, you're able to have that strategic conversation with your leadership team and your people um, leader to think about what's right for our business and what's actually right for our people. Um, and you can really think about how in office is going to affect us in so many different ways. And I think the people leader has a voice there where they can influence and say, like, actually, you know, in off here, are the, here are the cons to in office, here are the cons to hybrid, here are the cons to remote. Let's think about this and make sure that we're doing the right thing for our, for our community and our, and, our, and our company. I think organizations really need to listen to their people if a large majority of your people are saying like, this is actually going to cause a hindrance for me, it's actually going to cause a hindrance for my family, then I think we need to listen because we're also going to see a mass exodus. But I wonder, you know, if we're going to see, if we're going to see just inequities and in, in gender representation, racial representation in organizations, as, despite, um, well, as a result of going back to office, I think it depends on the company. I think if, if, CHROs and people leaders have a really, really tight relationship with their executives and they have a seat at the table, they have a voice and, and the organization is thinking through things from a people-centric lens, then the organization will make the right decision for their people and they'll be able to manage it. However, I do think there are companies that are making decisions based on what the CEO wants and then the people leader has to follow suit and it's going to be disjointed and that's where you're going to see um, people leaders disengaging. You'll see people leaders not feeling like they have a voice and not being able to influence their leadership to be able to do what's right for the business. Great. What's next for you and for ChartHop? Yeah, I think ChartHop is going to be um, a really, really great solution to many companies. I joined the organization because I, ne I had never heard of ChartHop before, but once I seen the platform, I realized that this is something that I wish that I had at every organization that I've been at. Um, and their platform is truly, truly impactful. And it can really shed light onto what's happening in your organization from a people perspective. I do think that ChartHop is going to be able to 
help companies really close the gap on DEI, close the gap on employee engagement and, and other areas of, of when it comes to your like people um, centric strategy. What's next for me? I am currently working with our CEO to really think through how we can continuously think through embedding people um, strategy and DEI strategy into our business. So for instance, like we, we build a product that goes that, that is made for HR leaders and finance leaders. So we are like your people team is integral to the business and success because we can give real-time feedback. We can test out features and let you know, actually, this is not right. We should think of through this a little bit better. Um, we can help with designing. Um, and we are your sounding board to make sure that what we are building is actually going to be suitable for people functions. Um, and I think that's going to be the truly impactful piece um, that I'm going to start seeing at ChartHop. And I'm just excited to see the next three to five years of where we go and how we begin to soar and how we're able to help people leaders across the world um, gain more insight into what's happening just across um, their organizations. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Okay, so last question that we, we like to ask everyone that comes on to uh, the podcast What's the best mistake you've ever made and why? I think the best mistake I've ever made was leaving big tech. I think there was, you know, I, I thought for me, you know, I worked at Google for a while, but I thought for me that Google was it. And I thought that big tech was it for me. Um, however, once leaving big tech and Google's like a hundred thousand person company, I went to a smaller company and I realized that I was able to do more. I was able to have more impact. I was able to um, really help an organization scale and grow to get to like the size of Google. So I really enjoyed leaving big tech. There was a lot of learnings there, but going to um, like startups and really helping them think through like how to build people functions, how to do it the right way, how to think about DEI and hiring and things like that. So that's, that was probably, from my career perspective, that was probably the the best mistake that I made um, that I thought was a big mistake, but it was actually the best decision that I made in hindsight. I really enjoyed speaking with Ivory about how PeopleOps teams can effectively communicate with leadership and how DEIB leaders are becoming more integrated into organizations, although there's still work to be done. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Speak executives' language. Sometimes it feels like people ops and execs aren't speaking the same language. To position people teams as critical to an organization's function, you need to help executives understand why it's good for the business. DEIB and people ops don't need to be separate. Ivory is a DEIB leader who stepped into a people ops role and saw that the two are deeply connected. By integrating DEIB into everything you do, you boost engagement, retention, and help create a safe and welcoming work environment for everyone. PeopleOps is strategic, not administrative. People teams are not simply there to run payroll and keep the ship afloat. They are an important part of an organization's ecosystem. Organizations that fail to realize this will face attrition and retention issues long-term. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners.
I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.